0: The transition from circuit 6 to circuit 7 requires its own section. This talk so far has aligned fairly well with Robert Anton Wilson's version of the 8th Circuit model found in his book, Prometheus Rising. But now I'll lean more into the yogic aspects of 8th Circuit Yoga and Jung's mystical work. I call the transition from circuit 6 to circuit 7, the Numinous. Numinous is a word that Jung often used to describe an experience that evokes strong religious or spiritual feelings. These feelings indicate or suggest the presence of a divinity. Peter Kingsley says the word numinous conveys a sense of the sacred and can be understood as the experience of the impossible in our lives. So far, everything that's been covered in this talk has been somewhat within the boundaries of normal public discourse. A few topics that I've covered may be on the fringes a little bit, but one can stretch mainstream science and psychology to cover it all in a reasonable way this section begins the journey into what i've concluded is the key to mystical and esoteric traditions spanning from prehistory to the present and here things get far more unreasonable and irrational i can't objectively back much of this up the distinction between subjective and objective is now blurred to the point of meaninglessness when the highest circuits are activated our experience of the world seemingly steps out of space time logic and reason as we normally know it and we seem to tap into something else another way of living to be honest for some this is kook or weirdo territory and i have to agree it's kooky but that doesn't make it untrue so to quote goethe in faust it is with reluctance that i disclose this higher mystery. People nowadays have such hopelessly muddled ideas about anything mystical or have such a rationalistic fear of it that if a mystical experience should ever come their way they are sure to misunderstand its true character and do anything to protect themselves against or just depress its numinous reality. Knowledge of the highest circuits is sort of hidden in plain sight in every generation there are a few people that attempt to bring this knowledge to the public's attention, but are ignored. Many have been condemned to death. Those that have gained popularity have often been misunderstood or misrepresented by others. Jesus of Nazareth, for example, whether he was a, an actual person or a fictional character invented by a group of Jewish mystics, or perhaps a combination of both, seemed to know these secrets. Some of these secrets he shared widely and disguised them as parables. According to both canonical and extra-canonical biblical sources, Jesus kept most of his important teachings to an inner circle. He talks about scattering seed in various locations, but the seeds only grow when they reach fertile ground. He was aware that very few people would be fertile ground for his teachings. The same mentality can be encountered in many esoteric traditions and secret societies throughout history. These groups of people felt the need to keep some mystical knowledge secret. Now this all sounds like the Da Vinci Code or some conspiracy, but it does seem to me that there is in fact an esoteric secret, a mystical idea or fact that has been on one hand suppressed due to fear of condemnation and misrepresentation and on the other hand, symbolize and encoded within mainstream religion. The secret can be found in the depths of the unconscious. If you attempt a visit to the depths of your unconscious, dark basement mind with full awareness of what you are doing, you'll likely encounter an archetype that will lead you to activate circuit 7 in a fully conscious manner. I'll tell you a personal story. About six years ago, I learned about Leary's work and the Eight Circuits for the first time. I wanted to see whether intentional meditative use of the psychedelic LSD would help me reprogram my mind. So I picked up a copy of the Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, written by Tim Leary, Ralph Metzner, and Richard Alpert, who is now known as Ram Dass. I figured I would take LSD alone in a dark, quiet room. I'd meditate in silence and use the manual to get as deep into my psyche as possible. In there I'd find a switch to reprogram myself. I'd move my first circuit imprint from not safe to safe. It seemed so easy. I just needed to follow the manual and stick to my routine meditation practices. I committed to not getting distracted by any hallucinations that arise. The plan was that at any time a funny or mind-bending hallucination would arise, I would refocus on my breath, anchor myself to the body, and rededicate myself to finding the circuit one switch. And, as usually is the case with psychedelics, the hallucinations did come, and I stuck to my plan. The hallucinations were very compelling, but I wasn't there for that. I stayed focused on my body's stillness and my breathing. Then, sitting in the dark room alone in total silence, I found myself at the very deep down bottom of the ocean at a hydrothermal vent. This was unexpected. Different forms of life were growing in the darkness. They were feeding off of the chemicals and bacteria coming from the vent. I heard an explicit communication, it wasn't audible, it wasn't sound in my ears, it was a communication seemingly coming from the inside of me. Looking back, I understand that to be a circuit 6 communication. It was feminine in nature, and she explained that she was my mother. She was our mother. She was the mother of all life. She told me that she is biological love, and that this love binds a mucous membrane together. And this love is the love we all feel. She said, I'd be safe if I loved her the way she loves me. Her message was very repetitious, almost in a sing-song way. And needless to say, I was very surprised by this. So I grabbed my phone, I opened the notepad app and started to take notes. I didn't want to forget any of it. As I typed, I felt like I was channeling. I was no longer typing, she was. And I found myself typing a poem. I've never been big on poetry, so this was quite a surprise. Uh, while I've played music since I was a teenager, the lyrics have never been my strong suit or interest. The entire experience lasted just a few minutes. It was shocking and disconcerting. This is not at all what I was expecting. It was frightening and awe-inspiring. I was convinced what I learned from her was correct. She was real in some way. There was no doubting the emotional and psychological intensity that I felt when I was in contact with her. For me, from a first-person point of view, that experience was as true as the fact that I am speaking right now. This is a classic experience of the Numinous. Since then, I've come in contact with her in various ways, not all psychedelic. Her message and tone is consistent. It's assertive, most times with a tough love type of tone. She says things like, I'm the mother, you are mine, I love you, you should love me, you should worship me. She admonishes, asking, why do you forget about me? Telling me, if you love me, you will be safe. And saying, I'm always right here. After several of these experiences, I've come to understand that the concept of the goddess isn't some dogmatic or religious fiction. The goddess, the Great Mother, is truly a powerful archetype within our unconscious mind. One that has been encountered by human beings since prehistory. Isis is one name for the goddess in Egyptian mythology. In ancient times, there was a statue of her in the Egyptian city of Sais the statue apparently bore an inscription saying, I am all that has been and is and shall be, and no mortal has ever lifted my mantle. Immanuel Kant, a German philosopher and one of the central enlightenment thinkers said, perhaps no one has said anything more sublime or expressed a thought more sublimely than in that statue's inscription. This image here is a modern depiction of that statue. She's covered by a veil. This is the Veil of Isis, a metaphor, an allegorical artistic motif in which nature is personified as the goddess. The veil represents the inaccessibility of nature's secrets. She herself told me once that we're not supposed to notice her. Plato said that this world is a living being endowed with a soul and intelligence, a single visible living entity containing all other living entities which by their nature are all related. Plato called this the mother, the receptacle of all creation. It's appropriate that the founder of western philosophy would say such a thing since the very word philosopher means lover of Sophia. Sophia is wisdom personified as a female spirit entity or goddess. The veil of Isis has parallels with the idea of Maya in some forms of Hinduism. In these traditions, the nature of the world is a feminine being and our daily lives are a misleading illusion. Author Peter Kingsley has spent his career going on about how early Greek philosophers such as Parmenides and Empedocles visited the Underworld where the Goddess was met. I personally have no doubts about this since I encountered her, but I can say how incredibly strange this all must sound. The Goddess's work is to show us we are living in an illusion and help us to realize we are surrounded by illusion. Listen to what she's saying. Follow her in what she's doing, accept her invitation, we all have to pay attention to her signs. I've chopped this quote up to its bare essence, Uh, the full quote can be read in Kingsley's book, Reality. On the left of this slide, you'll find the Temple of Isis in Pompeii, Italy. It was excavated in surprisingly good condition. There are various frescoes in the area, including this one in the middle, showing a hellenized version of isis with a snake coiled around her arm in a neighboring town you'll find the image on the right a fresco that seems more influenced by the egyptian roots of isis imagery an ancient writer wrote about isis worship cults in one encounter with the goddess he quotes her as saying i am nature the universal mother mistress of all the elements primordial child of time sovereign of all things spiritual queen of the dead queen also of the immortals the single manifestation of all gods and goddesses that are i am worshipped in many aspects known by countless names yet the whole round earth venerates me the goddess archetype has been represented by many symbolic forms and names on the upper left you'll find jean shinoda bolin a psychiatrist Jungian analyst and author who is quite knowledgeable about the subject of goddess archetypal representations. I recommend looking into her work if you're interested in learning more about the characteristics of different goddesses and how people relate to them in modern day. Starting on the bottom left, you have the Greek Persephone. Next to her, you'll find Nike, the Greek goddess of speed and victory. Above, you have Chinese Guanyin. Next to her, you have Japanese Izanami. Below her, you have the Black Madonna, who is either Mother Mary or Mary Magdalene, according to who your sources are. The other two at the bottom right corner are only two of countless Hindu iterations of the goddess. Kali, which I've mentioned already, and Durga. Up on the top right, you have another Egyptian goddess, Nut. Some other descriptions of the goddess are Queen of Heaven, Supreme Witch, The Bride. I'll mention more on that later. To others, she's simply the mother. Here's a quote from Jung. Mother is an archetype and refers to the place of origin, to nature, to that which passively creates, substance and matter, to materiality, the womb, and vegetative functions. Mother also means the unconscious, our natural and instinctive life, the physiological realm, the body in which we dwell or are contained. For the mother is also the matrix, the hollow form, the vessel that carries and nourishes, and it thus stands psychologically for the foundations of consciousness. That last sentence speaks to this metaphor of the basement. Those that encounter the goddess firsthand have no doubt of her reality, at least as a perceivable subjective experience. There is no doubt of her having a personality and behaving autonomously during the encounter von Franz wrote this female figure appears as a world creating spirit who is kind to man and is an understanding divine spirit who is conversant with God she is the brightness of the everlasting light the unspotted mirror of the power of God she reconciles nature with spirit and prepares the way for a new birth of God this last comment of course is highly reminiscent of Christian mythology which is a very helpful tool for understanding eight Circuit Yoga. The image on the left was painted by Mikael Frubel. It shows a Christian scene, the Holy Spirit descending on the Apostles after Jesus ascended to the heavens. Some argue, and in my opinion convincingly, that the Holy Spirit was understood as a feminine spirit by early Christians, including Jesus himself. This book called Finding Holy Spirit Mother gives a brief view on the subject Jesus is quoted as saying in the Gospel of Hebrews my mother the Holy Spirit took me by one of my hairs and carried me up to the great mount in the Gospel of Philip Jesus was also quoted as saying ask your mother and she will give you that which belongs to another world as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk one major and influential Hindu tradition is Shaktism the doctrine of energy power and the eternal goddess The experience of the Holy Spirit can be understood as an experience of Hindu Shaktipat. Shakti, the feminine goddess energy coursing through the body and raising what is called Kundalini. This is a painting of the Hindu saint Ramakrishna receiving Shaktipat from the goddess. Both he and his famous disciple Vivekananda described how essential the relationship to the goddess mother is for spiritual life. Hindu guru Neem Karoli Baba is quoted as saying, See all women as mothers, serve them as your mother. When you see the entire world as mother, the ego falls away. He also said, you have to understand the mother to realize God, which is basically summarizing the point I'm trying to make in this section, albeit in very religious terms. The workings of the feminine holy spirit or hindu goddess shakti isn't too dissimilar from the idea of qi in chinese traditional medicine. Qi is the chinese name for the spiritual energy that flows through and animates the body. In classic taoist philosophy this goddess energy can be understood as the black aspect of the tajitu what we westerners call the yin yang symbol. The black aspect is the yin energy described as passive but not passive as in weak rather passive as it is dark, subtle and hidden. This passiveness allows it to be supremely influential without being noticed. Taoist writings describe true leaders as leading subtly through influence and going with the flow of life, not against it. These individuals tap into Yin energy and only use Yang energy, the more masculine, obvious, forceful ways of life at the right time for the right reasons. Modern society is quite yang focused. We're all about power and pushing through, making things happen using force to get things done. These two forces, yin and yan, complement each other, but can become unbalanced. Taoist philosophy says that if things start going too far in one energy direction, one can actually see that the other energy is appearing and forming. It's ready to transform the situation back into its opposite, always striving for balance. The I Ching, which I mentioned previously, is an ancient Chinese divination system. It is a method through which one can establish a direct communication link to the feminine spirit of the world. This is a subject that warrants a lot more detail and explanation that can be given here. I've had good fortune with this connection personally, I'm happy to schedule a one-on-one divination session for anyone who is interested. I can't provide any guarantee of success or that anything special will happen, but it's always interesting to see what the I Ching says. This is an example of ayahuasca art. Ayahuasca is the well-known plant medicine used by indigenous people in South America for generations. It is now very popular around the globe. This powerful brew creates an unparalleled psychedelic and physical purging experience which often lasts up to six hours. When some people drink ayahuasca in the right set and setting, the veil of Isis is torn away and they come in contact with a powerful, intimidating, yet loving goddess. There is a very common misconception that mother ayahuasca is some separate entity that resides in the plant or is different from other goddesses in some way. To me, this is a misunderstanding of what is actually happening. She can be accessed without psychedelics. But for those that want to encounter her desperately, it might be easier, faster, and more visceral to drink ayahuasca in a legal ceremony somewhere. It is important to know that not all ayahuasca drinkers encounter her and that ayahuasca is indeed illegal in many countries. There is also a physical toll that ayahuasca has on drinkers due to its purging effects. Ayahuasca doesn't mix well with some medications. It's extremely important to do research before drinking it. Now, just to make sure that I don't sound like I'm slagging ayahuasca off, it can indeed be remarkably healing if taken in the proper set and setting and in a location where it's legal. Taking ayahuasca is like strapping yourself to the exterior of a submerging submarine. It can be quite the rough ride going into the depths of your unconsciousness this way, especially for those who are not prepared for the experience. My point is that you might want to go snorkeling first. I'll have much more to say on psychedelics in the final part of this talk. Establishing a stable connection and communication with the goddess archetype is a major step towards what Hindu sage Shankara called Vidya, true knowledge. In Greek mythology, the female deities, the muses, were a gateway into the mysteries of creation, such as the arts, music, and science. In one of my favorite lectures, spiritual teacher and psychologist Ramdas explained that in order to get to the father of Christianity, the emptiness of buddhism and the Brahman of hinduism one must quote go through the mother baby this is actually an illustration from a book he wrote in dedication to neem karoli baba called be here now ramdas described the situation as such the mother is all forms when you realize what the game is you realize everything is fed to you by the mother this happens until you finally see life as a flow the flow of the mother. So you consume the mother until you are the mother. He quotes the Hindu song of Mahamudra. At first a yogi feels his mind is tumbling like a waterfall. In mid-course, like the Ganges, it flows on slow and gentle. In the end, it is a vast great ocean where the lights of child and mother merge into one. Now, this next point I'm about to say is a tough one for many of us. Establishing a stable connection with the mother archetype requires something that does not come naturally to many of us. An ancient writer quotes Isis as saying, Listen attentively to my orders. Do not hesitate. Push the crowd aside. Join the procession with confidence in my grace. Above all, have faith. Do not think that my commands are hard to obey. Only remember, and keep these words of mine locked tight in your heart, that from now onwards, until the very last day of your life, you are dedicated to my service. It is only right that you should devote your whole life to the goddess who makes you a man again." Quote. In order to consciously activate circuit 7, one must encounter and submit to the activated unconscious feminine archetype. This involves devotion, submission, and worship. There's no other way to put it. Call it whatever you want. The goddess, the great mother archetype, the holy spirit, shakti, or the maternal unconscious. For me personally, there is no doubt in my mind that one has to surrender and take a reverential relationship to this archetype in order to activate circuit 7 in a conscious and safe manner. These are prayer postures found in religions around the world. Some Muslims prostrate themselves several times a day. The word Islam literally means submission in Arabic. When Ramdas met his Hindu guru, he refused to prostrate himself. I also felt massively uncomfortable doing so, so I often avoided doing it when visiting Hindu or Buddhist temples. It took me a long time to take this posture both physically and mentally but I have concluded that posturing oneself can be an incredibly powerful way to connect to the goddess archetype. Many traditions, particularly eastern traditions, have taught that bodily positions have an effect on one's state of being. I personally think prayer prostrations as seen in these pictures are intimately connected to the first posture we all took back in the womb this is the posture we were formed in when our bodies were at their most helpless and literally connected to mother nature the fetal position is understood by many to be an instinctual reaction to various situations to stress or to trauma this position is believed to be reassuring and soothing addicts going through withdrawal Sufferers of panic attacks and people grieving tend to enter the fetal position unconsciously. An ayahuasca medicine worker once told me that people in the throes of intense hallucinations tend to take a submissive prayer pose. I didn't think much of that comment until it was happening to me. During an ayahuasca ceremony, I quickly realized that the only position that I could process what was happening was the prayer pose total conjecture on my part but i think this posture may help our nervous system better access the mother archetype and its feminine life energy don't get me wrong though obviously not everyone who takes this pose is having some intense encounter with an archetypal goddess many prostrate themselves out of cultural or religious traditions not having any idea of its implications or possibilities You can find this pose in most Hatha yoga classes. It's called Balasana, child pose. You're not suddenly some sort of enlightened person by doing it, but I do think that taking this pose with the appropriate intention towards the goddess archetype can create a sense of connection to something larger than our individual status quo selves. I've come to think and see our bodies as having the ability to serve as channels for energy flowing from the feminine archetype. If we become open to her creative energy, that energy enters the world through the nervous system in our bodies. We can choose to listen to the muse, to the goddess archetype, and let her creative inspiration flow through us. The word inspiration is related to the word breath. This isn't purely a metaphysical or spiritual endeavor. This is a human experience accessed through our own biology. Most of us don't know about it because mainstream culture has almost totally forgotten about it. Peter Kingsley says, quote, There are those who consider that the greatest achievement is to listen, to change this world by bringing into it what no one else is able to hear. End quote. And with that, we arrive at Circuit 7.